0: This is Physician to Physician Plant-Based Nutrition. I'm Tracy Cushing, an emergency medicine physician. I'm also a mom, a wife, four-time
1: Ironman, and I've been plant-based for 11 years. And I'm Eden English. I'm an internal medicine physician, a hiker, a ski boarder, a mom, and I've been vegan for the last five years. We're passionate about helping other doctors learn the science behind plant-based eating so they can help their patients develop sustainable, healthy eating habits. Each episode, we're breaking down the science behind plant-based eating and answering the questions we know most doctors have and most patients ask.
0: Hi, Eden. Hey, Tracy. How are you? Doing great. So excited to be here for season two of the Physician to Physician Plant-Based Nutrition Podcast. I'm very excited to have our first guest of the season, Dr. Andrew Freeman.
1: Very excited as well. But let's start with the basics. Tell me what you had for dinner last night, Tracy. We had
0: a white wine mushroom risotto from the Issa Does It cookbook by Isa Moskowitz, who I've mentioned before, author of Vegan Omicron and Vegan Cupcakes Take Over the World, which should be on every vegan's shelf as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and it was very good. How about you, Eden?
1: We had a family classic that we veganized. It's called green spaghetti, and it's really just spaghetti tossed with pesto. Um, We have it with artichokes and sliced tomatoes as a standard. But it's really just any pesto, obviously plant-based. You can sub some vegan parm in and fake butter if you're needing a fat. Toss that with spaghetti, and it's fantastic, quick and easy dinner. I also want to find out what our guest had for dinner last night and a lot more about him. Let's start with an introduction. Dr. Andrew Freeman practices at National Jewish in Colorado. He's a board-certified cardiologist, and he combines both traditional Western medicine with a holistic approach on overall wellness and disease prevention through a combination of advanced cardiology diagnostics and lifestyle medicine in the form of a whole food plant-based diet or a vegan diet, regular exercise, mindfulness, and support. He's often been nicknamed the vegan cardiologist, and his approach, which integrates the latest evidence-based medicine and lifestyle medicine, achieves excellent results for his patients. So with that, Andrew, what'd you have for dinner last night?
2: Well, first, thanks for having me. And uh, it must be an Italian theme uh, because we had homemade pizzas uh, that we make uh, actually with store-bought whole wheat dough. Um, tomato sauce and veggies. And it was, you know, surprisingly great. You know, I I don't know if I share this with you, but I'm from New York originally. So I can't be without pizza for too long. Uh, So that's what we had.
1: And while we're chatting about you, can you tell us a little bit about your vegan journey? How'd you end up going vegan?
2: Yeah. Well, so I think like most of us, when we went through training, you know, we sort of conformed right? You couldn't be the outlying physician, the one with the strange dietary patterns or weird beliefs, if you will. Uh, So in my fellowship, I was in in North Philadelphia, which uh, in a lot of ways is sort of an urban desert. And uh, what surrounded the hospital was a a bunch of uh, greasy cheesesteak places, hamburger place, um, uh, a greasy Chinese food place. And the healthiest option was uh, a Philadelphia hot pretzel um, so that's what we had, and uh, you know, we very often would say to our patients things like, you know, you just had a heart attack, you're only in your 30s, you shouldn't eat any more cheesesteaks, and then you know, we would all go eat cheesesteaks for lunch. So, uh, finally, came out to Denver to start practice uh, about 13 years ago, and um, you know, for the first couple of years, like everyone else, kind of threw meds at people, and nobody ever really got super better. Uh, they always got a little bit better. So I started really delving in a little bit into. Um, lifestyle. Uh, I started with a program here in Denver, one of the very first sites in the country called Walk with a Doc, um, where we walk with our patients on a monthly basis. And one thing led to another where you, know, you can't be a, a walker exercise promoter and then eat poorly, right? That doesn't go very well. So um, I remember very vividly, this is, gosh, 11 years ago or so, uh, we were up with our family for one of our first family trips uh, in Colorado. We were up at Steamboat and uh, ate at a, a greasy cheeseburger place uh, for dinner. And at the time I was finishing up, uh, I think it was the China study. Uh, and then after that, I was vegan ever since. Uh, literally read the data and, and there I was. And I said, this is crazy. I don't know how I didn't learn any of this in fellowship. I don't know how I didn't learn any of this in medical school. I should say I went to medical school in Buffalo, New York, home of the Buffalo wing um, and this other stuff called beef on weck and custard, um, which uh, really poisoned the vast majority of people. Uh, but anyway, um, you know, and grew up in New York eating very traditional, you know, seven inches of, uh, you know, pastrami on a sandwich and three inches of cream cheese on a bagel and a piece of pizza weighed five pounds Uh, And I never really understood why all of my friends' parents were having heart attacks, cancer, or even dying uh, until I finally added all this stuff up and realized, my goodness, it's our lifestyle. It is so very poor. We eat like kings and queens. We never move. And people get sick. And so I finally put all this together. And then in Steamboat, right after I finished my last book uh, on the topic, I decided I had to do this myself. And I did. And within uh, a couple of weeks, literally, I had dropped maybe in the range of 30 pounds, redid my life insurance physical, and got a rebate check in the mail. And I'm like, this is amazing. Uh, And started doing it with my patients. And the results have been extraordinary. For the first time in my career, I started to see cure, right? I'd see disease go into remission, heart disease, um, you know, risk factors drop, diabetes go away, blood pressure normalize, obesity resolve. Um, autoimmune disease go away, like things that you never could think would be possible were possible. Uh, My colleagues all thought I was strange as could be I could vividly remember my uh, Department of Medicine chair at the time when I started telling him that I was going to walk with my patients, he thought it was entertaining. And then uh, he would, you know, sometimes in the entire Department of Medicine meeting, call me out and comment on what I thought about the food or what I was eating or whatever it may be. And now um, we're much more mainstream than ever before, which is starting to become nice. Uh, But I get to say that I've been doing it longer than anyone, which is always also nice. Um, But bottom line is the results are extraordinary. And, um, you know, I, I wish I would have learned this much earlier in my career. You know, you could argue I learned it within the first couple of years, but it would be nice if I learned it, say, before I even started practice. So that's it in a nutshell.
1: It's a really inspiring story. And thank you for sharing it because it really sort of drives home what Tracy and I have chatted about a lot, which is that this is not something that we came by in med school as part of our training. We were taught you should go plant-based right away. That's just not how it happens. Um, But once you dive into the science, there really is a lot of science backing plant-based diets that really should be taught in med school and hopefully will start to be taught more and more as this becomes more mainstream.
2: Yeah, just a a comment about that. You'll get a kick out of this. So when I started doing this, I was also active in the American College of Cardiology and uh, we did not have a nutrition and lifestyle work group at all until we founded it, me and a few other, what I call enlightened cardiologists. And now, um, you know, we're probably in the range of 80 strong or more, uh, and have been incredibly productive with publications and speaking. Um, you know, so it's pretty amazing. And, and I would say that my, my one of my great mentors, Kim Williams, who many of us uh, in the plant-based world know, former president of the American College of Cardiology, is, um, you know, attributed to saying a couple of very important things, such as there are two types of cardiologists, right? Those who are vegan and those who don't know the data, uh, which of course you could argue is quite uh, stirring and controversial, but nonetheless, a very interesting way of putting things together. But the other thing I think that the, the listeners will get a kick out of is that, you know, we, as part of our, our, our work group actually surveyed a thousand cardiologists and published a paper. Uh, and it turns out that 90% of us know almost nothing about nutrition as a cardiologist so imagine every single day we're being asked questions and almost none of us know anything, which is scary. So I made it one of my personal missions to educate my, not only myself, but my peers in this space. And you know, for the last, I don't know, decade or so, I've been speaking around the country on a variety of topics and I really try my best each year to put together talks on the latest data that many of us probably missed because they're just not in the uh, everyday journals we might approach. Uh, And the results are amazing. I mean, the amount of nutrition science that comes out every year is mind-blowingly large and uh, very plant forward, meaning almost every study that comes out suggests that a plant-based diet in one way or another is the right thing. And I can't believe we have been ignoring that data for so long.
1: Couldn't agree more. And so excited you're here to share all this knowledge with our listeners. Let's dive into the science. Let's talk about cardiology and how plant-based diet can really improve your heart health, among many other things. Like you say, this whole season is going to go disease by disease and system by system and talk about the benefits a plant-based diet can yield for that system. And today, we've got a board-certified cardiologist and we want to talk about the heart. So, Dr. Freeman. Do you think plant-based diets are good for the heart?
2: Uh, it's not a matter of my thought. And that's one of the important things I always tell my patients. This is not my thought. I am giving you the data, the science, and my expertise and experience, and you have to make the decision. But realize that these are now endorsed by virtually every professional society on the planet. And as a result, uh, ignoring this is ignoring a very powerful tool in, in our, our, our tool belt, in our arsenal to fight disease. You know, Americans, uh, uh, as you may know, these days, uh, the most recent AHA uh, sort of data collection suggests that roughly 50% of us have some form of heart disease, most of which is high blood pressure. And the blood pressure stats are really scary. So for those of the listeners that don't do this all the time, you know, most people think blood pressure is um, surprisingly unsexy and boring, Uh, but I would argue it's one of the lowest hanging fruits. So for every 20 points on average, we go above 120 for our systolic, our top number of blood pressure, the risk for dying doubles. So when someone comes in at 140, that's double, at 160, uh, they're quadruple, at 180, they're eight times, and it goes up exponentially. So think about that. So if we could tackle blood pressure through lifestyle, diet in particular, how much good could we do for those 50% of Americans that have high blood pressure? I mean, it's mind blowing. Why are we not? I don't know anyway, but that came out this last year. So I always love to look at the data that comes out from the AHA um, sort of, you know, uh, prevention and statistics committee reports. Uh, it's just eye-opening.
0: So you have a patient in front of you, right, who's like, but Dr. Freeman, that's really hard. How do I lower my blood pressure 20 points? What do you mean I have to exercise and change what I eat? And isn't there just a pill you can give me? And... I, I feel like we're very centered on um, treating diseases rather than preventing diseases in Western medicine, largely, which is why we don't have these conversations about nutrition. So, you know, give me a, like, if you had to pick or another physician, you know, Dr. Freeman, like, give me the evidence. What's your, like, your biggest message or your most convincing evidence that food really is is key to this to this problem?
2: Well, first, we know that just sometimes a a tiny bit of weight loss, like 3%, can have a significant reduction in blood pressure and diabetes, like tiny little things. But even further is what I talk to patients about is um, if someone comes in with hypertension, uh, and I should be very clear with the listeners, there are some plant-based docs out there who never use Western medicine. To me, I see a fire that needs to be put out immediately before I can start planting flowers. So I put people on standard guideline directed therapy, but I tell them that I want this to be temporary, which is unique. The vast majority of people say you're on this, you're on this for life. See you later. Good luck. What I say is we know that if you change your lifestyle, if you boost your exercise, which is nature's most potent antihypertensive, hypertensive uh, we know that if you lose weight, if you change the foods you eat, add more fruits and vegetables, more potassium rich foods. If you add, eat beets, as an example, beets are amazing at lowering blood pressure because of the naturally occurring nitrates. Um, You could really lower blood pressure. So my suggestion is let's put people on blood pressure pills and have them change lifestyle. And not that I want somebody to feel miserable, but I love when they call up and say, doc, I am so lightheaded today. I can barely move. I checked my blood pressure. It's 80 systolic. Great. Stop your medicine. We solve the problem. And the truth is, there was a study a couple of years ago, maybe you saw it, where if you consume something like 250 cc's of beet juice a day, a can, it lowers blood pressure as well as many of the commonly used drugs that we use. Think about that. So, you know, if you drank a can of beet juice and yes, your urine and stool would be red and you'd be worried that you were bleeding, but um, it really works. And in fact, athletes now are doping, if you will, with beets or beet greens even because of the antioxidant boost and so forth. So I guess what I would say is there's an enormous amount of data and evidence that's been published that weight loss, exercise, diet, particularly increasing fruits, vegetables and decreasing the bad stuff, animal-based foods, processed foods, ultra processed foods, salt, can significantly lower blood pressure and improve outcomes. Uh, I would argue it's indisputable and it is in every guideline now. There's not one professional society guideline that deals with hypertension that does not mention diet and this is not new right think about dash right many of us know the dash diet dietary approaches to stop hypertension if you look at it carefully what is it it's a mostly plant-based diet or what if you go even older than that something called the portfolio diet i don't know if you guys are familiar with this this is from jenkins and crew um and the portfolio diet was also one of the very original plant-based diets that showed marked improvements in blood pressure so we have excellent evidence i just don't understand why we're not there um so bottom line is it works, it really does.
1: And I just want to add, a, ask a quick question on that because we finished our last season talking about particular dietary needs and then supplements to some extent. Um, do you feel like there's a, a way to get the benefits of plants by taking beet pills or supplements that try to capture the nugget of the plant that is the goodness and adding that supplement?
2: So I am not a big fan of supplements. Um, and I would say that in general, um if you eat well you don't need supplements so eons and eons of human beings figured out how to live without pills and vitamins and whatever if you have vitamin deficiencies if you have you know colon gi tract issues you can't absorb certain things fine you need supplements most of us probably need a vitamin d supplement unless we're getting adequate sunshine and mushroom intake which are the precursors and so forth um fine Uh, If you're fully plant-based, you might be B12 deficient unless you're eating nutritional or brewer's yeast regularly, which is surprisingly good, by the way, for the listeners. Nutritional yeast on popcorn is surprisingly tasty. Um,
1: That's right, Tracy. All vegans like nutritional yeast. Tracy has mentioned on several of these podcasts that she is the only vegan I know that does not like (laughs) nooch, but everybody else, I completely agree with you, Andrew.
2: It's delicious. You can try brewer's yeast, but I don't think it tastes that good. But nonetheless... um, you know, the reason our our foods are also very, very clean these days. And so some of the naturally occurring yeasts are probably just not there. But anyway, side note. So other than that, no, I don't recommend supplements. Every time we extract things out of plants, we usually create a problem for ourselves. So think about this. If you wanted the equivalent of a cup of coffee, you could, you know, suck on a, a cocoa leaf, right? And get some cocaine, if you will. But if you hyper concentrate it, it kills you right? Or if you think about oils, which are highly controversial in the plant-based world, but the truth is if you take a teeny tiny little seed, like a canola seed or whatever it is, and you extract out huge quantities of oil with incredibly high pressure and heat, this is uh, defeating the, the mechanism that is there to prevent the body from being exposed directly to high fat content all of a sudden by itself without it being in the matrix of the plant. So there's something about the matrix of the plant that does something to the way we absorb food. So for instance. I could you know eat fructose right and you know drink it and my blood sugar would spike and so forth. Or if I eat a strawberry, my blood sugar probably won't spike because of the high fiber content that prevents it. So, I think when we extract things out of plants, we are missing a lot of the things that we don't even fully understand. It turns out that even chewing has a, an effect, especially with greens, with saliva and so forth, which is why we don't recommend mouthwash uh, for many people anymore, because it kills that bacteria that produces some of the benefit. So, chewing your greens actually does something more than just swallowing a green pill. You know, everyone's crazy about turmeric these days. Well, go out for Indian food or have a curry and eat it in your food. It's actually much cheaper and way tastier. So, you know, the bottom line is I think that that plant-based um, nutrition is important, but every time someone finds a discovery, you know, think about the lycopene craze, right? When when people found in watermelon and tomato sauce, you know, all of a sudden there were lycopene pills. This is great for your prostate. Well, have some tomato sauce and eat some watermelon. Um, you know, so I, I think in short, I'm not a big fan of supplements, but again, there are cases when they are needed.
1: And You did send us some particular studies and some presentations that you've done, which were wonderful. So I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Can you tell us more about the CARDIA study with getting people to start earlier having some big benefits?
2: Well, so it's not just the cardiac study, but it turns out that there are benefits even in when when in, we're in utero to what our mom eats uh, in terms of what our food preferences are later in life. So there's this whole concept now of primordial prevention, right? Which is before the disease could ever manifest, where we learn how to eat better. And there's been a lot of studies actually on uh, in utero, um, uh, you know, uh, exposures, if you will, to plant based foods. But I guess what I would say is. The earlier we start in eating this way, the the more compound interest, if you will, develops. So, you know, kind of like with your bank, right? If you put money away earlier and it grows over time and it becomes exponential, the health benefits of eating well earlier in life become exponential. And the quicker and sooner we do that, the better. It's sort of like if you smoke one cigarette, it probably won't kill you. But if you smoke hundreds and hundreds over many years, it probably will. Uh, And the same thing is, you know, if you eat a piece of bacon today, you're probably not going to die tomorrow. I mean, I guess you could, but you probably won't. Um, You know, but there's a latency period where the sort of cancer effect is developing, if you will. So in short, I tell people, uh, not just based on this cardiac study, but others that the earlier you can go plant-based, the quicker you can go plant-based, the better approach. Now I get this question a lot and you guys probably do too. Well, doc, I'm 80 years old. Why does it matter? So The truth is, or people say, well, I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, enjoy my life. So the truth is the likelihood of dying from a heart attack these days is probably some of the lowest it's ever been. But the likelihood of significant disability is very high. So I say, do you want to be Grandpa Joe or Grandma Jane or, you know, who's drooling in the corner or do you want to be dancing at your great grandkids wedding? Do you want to enjoy life to its fullest? I mean, think about the American curse. We work hard our whole lives. And when we get ready to retire, what do we look forward to? Heart attacks, strokes, dementia, erectile dysfunction. I mean, it just sounds like an awful way to retire. So let's change it. And the earlier we make these changes, the more vitality, the better life quality we have. And at the end of the day, you could have all the money in the world, but without your health, there's nothing to to do with it. So I tell people, no matter what the science shows, the better your health is, the longer your health is, uh, good, the better quality of life you're gonna have. And I look a lot for that in my talks with patients in terms of motivational interviewing. I look for the hook. What's gonna inspire somebody to make a change? And use those to your advantage. That is what makes people change their behavior.
1: I love that. I mean, in primary care, I'm the same thing, always trying to find ways to motivate people to change. And I love that you have the slides back to back in your presentation about starting early is fantastic. You can really have huge benefits if you start earlier. I hadn't heard the in utero. I'm going to start using that, too. But that no matter what, and you have a postmenopausal women slide, too, about following the portfolio Plant based diet and really showing some benefits to heart disease risk, even if you start in your postmenopausal life. So, assuming around 55 or so, starting at that age, and you can still have some pretty significant benefits. So, it's not that you have to start in utero. You can start anytime and you'll still reap some benefits.
2: Right. And I will point out also that the magnitude of the benefit is enormous, right? Like some of these reductions are in the 50% less likely for heart disease or heart attacks. I mean, you can't get that with medicine. So what I want to point out to the audience is, um, whatever you think is your most potent drug for whatever disease you treat, lifestyle will trump it no matter what. There's just nothing that can do what lifestyle can do.
0: I have a very specific and weird question. Is there any data uh, in children with risk of familial hypercholesterolemia and plant-based diets?
2: So I'm not a pediatrician, so I don't spend a ton of time in this space. But I do know that for FH, uh, that there are some benefits to diet. But again, FH also has some LDL receptor and other issue things that sometimes don't always respond the same way to standard approaches. That said, we also live in an era um, from the standard Western medicine approach where we have medications like we've never had before to lower cholesterol, especially in people with FH. In my opinion, my heterozygotes, which are commonly found, these are people that have only one copy of the gene, um, not only respond to medications, but respond to lifestyle. And I've gotten a number of my patients to be just on a statin with a plant-based lifestyle, which I think is really fantastic because it used to be things like they would go get dialysis or apheresis for their blood, and now they don't need that, um, which is pretty great.
1: Let's segue a little bit into protein and specifically as it relates to health. And obviously we're a plant-based podcast, so I'm talking specifically about plant-based protein. If you substitute plant-based protein for animal protein, and the, the slide that you're having called out eggs, too. We've talked a lot last season about processed meat and red meat, particularly as the source of all evil. These are the two, particularly the process that you really need to avoid. But eggs, we hit on a little bit less hard. We didn't find them in our research to be quite as bad. So tell us a little bit about just how bad that egg protein is for you.
2: Yeah, so there's probably been about a dozen studies in the last five or six years that show a sort of dose response relationship with diabetes or worsen diabetes uh, with eggs. Now, you could argue that this might mean things like, um, you know, standard American eggs. And of course, it's often hard to differentiate when people eat eggs that they often eat them with things like bacon and other things. But that said, uh, the studies show that more eggs, more diabetes. Uh, it also, and one egg, as you may know, is an enormous source of cholesterol. One of the reasons that eggs, you'll never see the word healthy on the container because uh, by USDA um definition eggs have too much cholesterol to be considered healthy interestingly enough Uh, and there's a a lovely little blog and video about this on nutrition facts if you're interested about how the egg industry tried to get the word healthy on their product but anyway um, so in short um, dose response relationship with diabetes in particular so i usually tell people to avoid eggs now that said especially in families that are struggling financially eggs are a very affordable source of protein in many cases Uh, and if there's no other choice Um, that's what I'd recommend. But I would also say that the cheapest of all, uh, proteins are things like beans and greens, uh, that you can really load up on. And granted, you know, you might have one egg or one little chicken breast and you get your protein fill for the day. You might have to eat a pile of spinach or, you know, a big handful of beans, but they're cheap as dirt. They're tasty and they, they really have no detrimental side effect. Uh, so I I would say I, I, really recommend people avoid eggs. If they must have eggs, I usually recommend that they have egg whites from as organic a chicken as they can find. There's actually been studies about, you know, your neighbor's backyard chickens uh, may actually have better, healthier eggs. And it turns out that there are some studies that suggest that eggs in Europe might be healthier than eggs in the U.S., interestingly Mm -hmm. enough. Uh, Again, you know, hard to make a conclusion. But one of the things I would say is that there's been a, a recent uh, development in some of the products that simulate eggs. You may have seen these things that are made out of mung beans, as an example. So you can find like a frozen folded egg patty made out of mung beans. So it's yellow, which are mung bean color. Um, and they taste and texture similarly to eggs. So um, one of my favorites is uh, is to do one of those folded egg patties on like a whole grain English muffin, um, maybe with a very thin slice of avocado. And that is surprisingly tasty. So food for thought.
0: I'll give a shout out to Just Egg, which is made out of mung beans, and you can make something that tastes scarily like a quiche out of mung beans, um, and it's it's right. the texture is pretty amazing. So we uh, we just did that last week. So it can can be done.
1: What about grains? I, 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 I'm primary care, so a lot of my patients are very concerned. They come to me and they're diabetic. They've been diabetic for years and they're like, oh no, I don't eat fruit or grains because I avoid carbs. I obviously give them my counterpoints, but I'd love to hear yours. How do you feel about grains as it relates to heart yeah. and diabetes, which obviously affects the heart?
2: So we, we should clear this up because there's a pervasive myth in all of medicine, even amongst educated docs about carbs that have been demonized. So Let me explain that it is true that controlling carbs can help you control blood sugar, but if you look at the root cause for diabetes, it's typically fat excess which results in fatty liver infiltrate. In fact, almost all of your diabetics have NASH. If you were to get an ultrasound, you'd see it. And fatty uh, deposits in the muscles, which prevent the glut receptors from uh, sucking up sugar. So when they eat carbs and they eat their typical fatty diet, um, their blo- those receptors don't work and their blood sugars go up, right? So everyone's like, okay, well, cut the carbs and my blood sugar will be better. And that's true. But it is a subset of the whole truth. And the truth is a low-fat diet is really the key. And we know this from the 1940s by the work of a guy named Walter Kempner at Duke. And you may know him as the white rice and fruit diet. So he had his patients, particularly those with end-stage heart disease, end-stage diabetes, they would walk all over Durham, North Carolina and he would feed them white rice and fruit, three meals a day, that's it. And it turns out that he cured, something in the range of 95% of them, cured diabetes in the 1940s when we had none of the modern medicines we have. So the real question is, is why aren't we doing that? And it it, it seems counterintuitive to feed a diabetic sugar, right? White rice and fruit. Um, And the truth is, it's probably not the best way to do it. There are better ways to do it now, but nonetheless, it works. It's a very, very low fat diet. So I, I want people to hear that what they're hearing is not wrong. It's just not the whole truth. And I think that people often conflate the two and say, well, I avoid carbs, now, the truth is, many people who avoid carbs or go on a keto diet or a paleo diet or whatever their flavor is are really cutting out garbage carbs or carbage, right? Those are the processed white carbs, pretzels, cookies, cakes, muffins, whatever, which are delicious, by the way. And you can find a plant based version of almost anything you might want that's actually tasty, but that doesn't mean it's good for you. And when you cut out the garbage carbs, their weight goes down and then their diabetes gets better. Um, but it turns out that keto diets, if you look carefully in the literature, They are beneficial for some seizure disorders, but by and large can significantly raise cholesterol inflammation. The only potential positive outcomes is potentially a reduction in diabetes in some patients, but I've also seen many patients who've gone keto where their cholesterol skyrockets. Um, Many patients are doing the traditional American keto diet, which is things like bacon-wrapped scallops every night for dinner. Now, as much as those are low carb, bacon is considered to be as cancer-causing as cigarettes by the World Health Organization. So if you watch Nutrition Facts or what Michael Greger says, he'll say, well, that means skinnier coffins, right? So people are losing weight, but they're dying. Uh, So I guess what I would say is I'm very, very cautious about um, carbs, making sure that people understand that they should eat the complex, minimally processed carbs, things like beans, uh, things like brown rice uh, and legumes in particular, I think are pretty fantastic. And they really are superfoods and they're so cheap.
1: And just touching on meat again, because like I said, Tracy and I spent a lot of time last season demonizing red meat and processed red meat, rightfully, because there's a ton of literature that really supports just how bad they are for you. But what are what are your top takes on that? When patients are telling you, you know, Dr. Freeman, I'm just not sure that I'm willing to give up bacon and sausage. Do you have ways that you can convince them?
2: Um, well, especially in my former smokers, I say, well, do you smoke any cigarettes? And they're like, no, I quit those. I said, okay, well, why'd you quit those? Oh, cause they are cancer causing. I said, so you quit cigarettes, but you're eating bacon. Maybe you should start smoking again. And they just look at me like, "Whoa!" you know, I I'll never forget one day I was joking with our CEO in our hospital. I've been trying to get them to remove bacon from our cafeteria Now, I have gotten plant-based foods added, which is great, but I can't get rid of the bacon. So I said, well, maybe we should add the cigarette machines back in. Um, So I think people understand the risk of cancer, and they understand it's not me saying that it's cancer, but the World Health Organization. Um, But there are some patients who say, you know what, doc, I can never be fully plant-based. Okay, fine. Do your best. Get as close as you can. Uh, There's a couple of books you may have seen, like Vegan Before Six, right? So you eat breakfast and lunch uh, that are vegan, and then dinner is a sensible plant forward type of a meal, Uh, but I think first from a health area, we know that meat eating is associated with all sorts of bad health outcomes from cancer to heart disease. And then our planet, if we all ate, even fish as an example, the way the professional societies recommended, there wouldn't be a single fish left in the ocean. And uh, we're also getting PCBs, dioxins, heavy metals, organophosphates, microplastics, nuclear fallout, things that I don't try to consume regularly. Um, And so the question is, How do you get people to see that? And a lot of people say, well, I don't care about the environment. I don't recycle and whatever. But at the end of the day, our health is intimately connected to the environment. If our our planet is unhealthy, we don't have a place to live. So people are starting to see the connections between how they eat and the effect on the planet. And I encourage the readers to take a look at the Lancet Eat Commission, which talks all about planetary health, which is really eye opening. And there's also been um, reports in the New England Journal and a number of the top medical journals across the world about how plant-based diets um, affect environment, which of course is integrally important to our lives. But from that, we know that just um, not only is meat production loaded with all of the toxins I just described, um, but if you were to ever look into how your meat gets to your plate, it would be eye-opening. And one of the things I say to my patients is, okay, fine. I want you to watch Forks Over Knives. I want you to watch Eating You Alive. I want you to watch a bunch of these movies and see what you think. But if that doesn't do it for you, there's one on this list that I did not add, but I want you to watch Earthlings that's narrated by Joaquin Phoenix. And I will tell you that this movie is so disturbing because the truth hurts so much that even eating popcorn while you watch this might bother you. And when they watch that movie, many of them really become interested in being plant based because it does just, it, the truth hurts. And I think figuring out If it's not ethics, if it's not the environment, if it's not your personal health, I don't know what motivates people. It's got to be one of those, right? Um, And so usually that's what I talk about. And then for those that are not willing, I say, fine, eat fish, but have maybe a half a piece of fish once every week or two uh, and give up everything else. And some people are willing to do that.
0: So to that point, healthcare is a huge emitter of carbon dioxide and all other manner of badness as an industry. And there seems to be a movement within the industry to fix that, which is amazing, and the greening of healthcare. And every time I go to a lecture or I hear about it, it stops at the front door to the cafeteria. And when I ask what changes they are making to their cafeteria food in their hospital, it's either crickets or, well, I mean, come on now. We don't want to go too far. Um, and there's there's all this resistance. And so I'm wondering if you have any any thoughts or insights or, you know, uh, comments on how we as physicians can advocate for serving better food in hospitals.
2: We all have to band together and say, remember that what what is served in the hospitals, we have to eat too. Um, and so it's important that we band together on this. But I would say the more times people say things, the more times someone takes a leadership role, great. Remember that your cafeteria, your hospital inpatient um, you know, kitchen has the ability to serve a plant-based meal that's actually not that bad if it's willing. So one of the things we did was we started an intensive cardiac rehab, which is based on Ornish. And as a result, we would have patients in the hospital and we made a plant-based menu, um, which is not hard to do. But remember at the end of the day, figuring out how to talk to administrators which is not a skill many physicians have is tricky but look at the mission of your hospital no matter what hospital you work in, if you look at the mission it's more along the lines of whether it's with you know a religious undertone or not we want to help people we want to serve the underserved we want to improve the health of society okay hospitals are places of healing serving soda diet soda shouldn't be in a hospital serving cancer-causing substances in a hospital that's trying to treat cancer does not make sense. Now, the problem is is that many places, and my hospital's not immune to this, uh, think that the, the cafeteria and the dining services are a profit center. And if they get rid of all of the usual stuff, nobody will eat there. Now, that may be true, but I would also tell you that if that's what they're captive to, that's what's available, they probably will still eat it. And if it's done well and it's tasty, who's gonna know? So if I served out cauliflower tacos, and told you they were tacos and didn't say anything else, and you ate them, you're like, God, these are delicious, great. It's an opportunity uh, to get people to understand why this is so important. And isn't it nice to stand behind a mission in a place that you work in and feel good about it? And, And why are we not? So the bottom line is, I think that first, take a look at some of the papers that have come out with my name on them. You'll see them about hospital food. It is easy to appeal to administration if you appeal to the mission, you show them that their cost is minimal um, and it will increase the diversity of offerings. The nice thing about plant-based foods is that they are naturally kosher, halal, uh, gluten-free. They can easily be made, right? So they fit all these things and hospitals now are big into diversity and inclusion. So bingo, you just said two keywords: diversity and inclusion. Uh, and um, you talked about no significant cost foods we already have. Being inclusive, these are just lovely things that hospitals are striving for. So, figure out how to weave your message into a place that makes sense. And then, further, if you said you have 200 people in the Department of Medicine and all of them have signed a petition saying that they want a plant based option every day, how do you say no to that? So, you know, I think there are ways to do it. And I think, you know what we did with the Warnish program is we showed them how intensive cardiac rehab uh, could be uh, a way to create a tr- traditional loss leader right cardiac rehab usually does not make money into at least neutral if not mildly profit bearing and at the same time we created these waves of wellness throughout the institution where people said oh well there's already an intensive cardiac rehab we should have a plant-based menu um, but that said i think hospitals have a long way to go but many hospitals have added things like salad bars Uh, Now, if we could only get rid of the pictures of ranch dressing and all that other stuff that are everywhere, but we're making progress, you can usually usually find oatmeal in most hospitals, which is great. So you know, you can usually find soy milk or almond milk or one of those non dairy milks Um, hospitals have coffee and tea. uh, So there are ways to do it. Um, It just takes a takes takes a village.
1: I did want to ask about one other slide you had, the vegan versus med, because I get this a lot too. Well, I'm going to go Mediterranean. I'm not willing to go all the way. And Mediterranean, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and bias the conversation because to me, Mediterranean is great. If you're sticking to it, it's better than standard American by a long shot, but it has a lot more wiggle room with exactly how much fish, exactly how often you can have meat, eggs or anything else. But, but what's your take on it? Do you recommend Mediterranean is just as good as vegan? It's fine?
2: So first, just from a data standpoint, if you look at the PREDIMID trial, the, the cardiovascular outcome was carried by stroke. So individually, cardiovascular positivity didn't exist in that study. It was stroke that was highly positive. And if you lump them together, then it was still positive. So I always give people that. And if you look at the pro-vegetarian sub-cohort of the PREDIMED study, those people did even better. Now, here's the the real clincher. A traditional Mediterranean diet, when it's followed in a non-American, traditional Mediterranean way, is a mostly plant-based diet. The American Mediterranean diet is piles of lamb and feta and fish and gyros and all these things that are probably not as common as you would think in a true Mediterranean diet. So what I say to people is if you're going to do a Mediterranean diet, it can't be this, you know, add feta to every dish, cannot be this drink seven liters of olive oil a day kind of thing. Um, And then I say to them, if you're going to do a Mediterranean diet, do a plant-based Mediterranean diet and get even more benefit. Um, but the truth is, um, you know, if you add, the question is, is how much of, a, of the bad stuff can you do before you have an effect that's negative? I think everybody has a different threshold. And that's why I tell people when they eat this way, it's a hedge against your genes, right? We all know people who can drink out of the fryer and smoke a carton of cigarettes and live to be 110. But you don't know you're that person until you get there, right? So this is a hedge against your genetics, your environment, whatever, to improve health outcomes. And so when you eat this way, your hope is that down the road, there's a payoff. Now, you may not have a payoff. You could be a vegan elite marathon runner and get hit by a bus just like anyone else, right? That's an awful thing to think about, but it's true. Uh, So how do we get people motivated to make these changes? It's really to look not so much at, well, I can have this much feta cheese and this much lamb, and I want to be Mediterranean, but rather, what do you want to do in life? You know, and most people that I take care of these days are probably in their 70s at the minimum. They're always talking about their grandkids, their great grandkids, all the things they want to do, the places they want to visit. And I ask them specifically about how they want to do that, what they want to do. You know, they say, Doc, I'm getting short of breath when I run after my grandkid. Well, do you want to fix that? Let's talk about it. So looking for those motivational hooks is important. And then if someone says to me, look, I can't be fully plant-based, but I want to be um, a Mediterranean person. Okay, great. But make sure you do it in a very minimally animal-based way where maybe less than 10% of your food is from an animal base and see how you do. Um, But remember, again, the Mediterranean diet is not the same here in the United States.
1: All very good points. If you had to give a take-home or a single biggest message you want other physicians to know about plant-based diets and cardiology, what would it be?
2: First, I would tell uh, all of the cardiologists that I know and all of the docs that I know, there's really not a specialty that is immune from the power of lifestyle, meaning every disease responds to lifestyle in some way. And the evidence base is only growing. And yes, there's a lot of noise out there, but there's so much signal in the noise now that it's sort of like burying your head in the sand if you don't want to learn about this. And you find me a doc out there who says, you know what? All of my Western medicines work just perfectly. Every surgery and procedure and stent and medicine I use just works the way I anticipate. I want to find that person because I've never found that person. But I would tell you that every time I get a person to make lifestyle changes, even small ones, there are benefits really without side effects, which is pretty amazing. If you think about it carefully every po- every medicine we take is a poison with a beneficial side effect and we're trying our best to minimize the poison and maximize the beneficial side effect but what if there was a medicine that had only positives and no side effects other than maybe elbow grease that's where lifestyle comes in so why not arm that or augment your approach your results with this type of a, a exposure i don't know it's incredibly cost effective Our current healthcare system is completely unsustainable. Part of the reason that there's, uh, you know, doctors are feeling burnt out and all that is that we have all these administrators involved now because there's so much money in medicine because people keep getting sicker and we get paid more when people are sicker. And if we could reverse that, maybe we could take back our field. So it's time that we make these changes for our future profession, for our professional satisfaction. I have never personally felt more satisfied than when I see a patient get better with less doctoring, which I know sounds counterintuitive, less doctoring and less medicine, but it is so gratifying to say, you know what? I help that person on their journey. I change their health trajectory. And when they're 119 and traveling the planet, I sure hope they'll send me a postcard or whatever we have in that time. So, you know, in short, my goal is really for people to hear that there is an enormous, enormous evidence base that they probably know little about And as much as it's nowhere near as sexy as the latest, you know, implantable percutaneous stent and whatever, uh, and valve, um, you know, it's incredibly powerful and it's cheap and it's effective. And I think those are the magic words we all need to hear.
1: Very well said. Thank you very much. We really appreciate you coming today. Tracy, did you have any more questions before we let Andrew go?
0: No, I just want to say thank you so much for that summation. And I I really hope there are some med students out there listening um, and some younger doctors that are going to take this message and start earlier in their careers using this information, because I really think many of us came to it quite a bit later. And I I hope that we're bringing this message to the the younger generation of physicians so that they can create their practices around disease prevention rather than disease treatment. I think that's um, the ideal. So really, really appreciate you being here um, and thank you so much for coming.
2: My pleasure. For those that are interested, you can find more information uh, about Walk With a Doc at walkwithadoc.org. And then the chapter I run is denver.walkwithadoc.org. Uh, on the National Jewish website, you can find the transitioning to plant-based support group that's done virtually and it's open to all. Uh, So find out information there. Uh, And then if you want to find me on Twitter, I am not the most active social media person, uh, but I'm at HeartCureDoc. And other than that, that's it.
0: This is Tracy and Eden signing off. Less meat means less disease. Go have a happy plant-based day.